Hello, this is Miss Leslie Barker, the pastor's wife here at Amazing Grace Baptist Church. Thank you for joining in today. Our prayer is that the Lord will speak to your heart through His Word, and that this podcast will be a source of encouragement and a blessing to you today. Today I want to talk about ruined teenagers, ruined teenagers. You know, we often talk about raising children, don't we? And you hear your pastor, and there's all kind of books on uh, raising children. And I, I've noticed in several of uh, the Jubilees, and when we have a question and answer time, that many of you women will ask questions about how to deal with wayward teenagers. So I put a lot of thought and prayer in it and thought about how my husband and I did it. And that's what I'm going to tell you today, what you do about teenagers that have almost become ruined teenagers. So let's pray first. Father, I pray you now you'll help. This is so important, Lord. Help us to get something from your word that will help us. Speak through me, Lord. Let my thoughts be plain and clear. Let me speak so the ladies can understand. Let them have open hearts and open minds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, your teenagers, believe it or not, are just your children that have gotten a little bit older. Isn't that something? They're still your children. They've just gotten a little bit older. And uh, you still have the same child. All of a sudden, you know, when, you're, when your children were small, boy, they thought Mama just knew everything. And they thought Mama could just do everything. And they thought, boy, their dad was the greatest man alive, boy. He could lick everybody, couldn't he? He's a regular Superman. But now, all of a sudden, they become teenagers, and they're beginning to kind of think for themselves, and they begin to have many, many questions and many things that they wonder about. And you know what they begin to think? Mama's old-fashioned, and Daddy's old-fashioned. Well, you know, I want to tell you something that's just a little bit more old-fashioned than you and a little bit more old-fashioned than your husband. You know what that is? S-I-N-Sin. See, sin is more old-fashioned than you, so you still have a whole lot more sense, a whole lot more wisdom, a whole lot more know-how than your teenage son or your teenage daughter. You're still the one that's got a hold of the reins, and you ought to hang on to them. See, they're still your children, though they've grown older, though they've grown older. And, you know, the man, boy, this is what all the teenagers, I remember this is what my kids used to say to me, but mother, all the girls are doing it. Well, all the fellas do it, mom. Isn't that right? Hmm? And I can say to my girls and my boys when they were teenagers, maybe all the girls do do it. Maybe all the fellas do do it. I doubt it. They're probably telling that very same thing to their parents, right? Okay. And then I'd say to my girls and my boys, I don't care if all the girls do do it. You're not all the girls. You're Dr. Bill Rice's daughters or you're Dr. Bill Rice's sons. So in our family, no, we don't do it just because all the girls do it, see? Just because all the girls do it. And so teenagers, just like children, need firmness, need consistency, need leadership. Now, maybe you think they don't act like it, but they do. But they do. And they need to be, you need to be able to sit down and hear what they've got to say about things, but you still need to be firm. You still need to say, these are the rules for our family and these are going to stay. Just because you've gotten to be a teenager doesn't mean that we're going to relax or stop. <coughs> Excuse me. See, lots of times parents waver, you know, because they have so much pull from their teenagers and the teenagers get their pull from peer pressure. Isn't that right? All right. So you've got to be just as firm as you can be. Now I want to read you a story in the Bible. Just real quickly. Can't read all of it, but we're going to read some of it. 
And this is in Second Samuel, the 13th chapter. Second Samuel, the 13th chapter. And this is the story of David's teenagers. See, and at, at this time, uh, probably Tamar was 17 years old, and Absalom was probably 19, and Amnon may have been just a little bit older, but anyway, they were still unmarried. Uh, for all practical purposes, they were teenagers. All right, they still need the ruling and the direction from their father. And here's the sad, sad story. And it came to pass after this that Absalom, the son of David, had a fair sister whose name was Tamar. And Amnon, the son of David, loved her. Now, you see, uh, Tamar and uh, Absalom were full brother and sister. And Amnon was a half-brother, you know, had a different mother. But they were all three children of David. All right. And Amnon was so vexed that he fell sick for his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin. And Amnon thought it hard for him to do anything to her. And Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab. All right, the fourth verse. And so this friend said, Why art thou, being the king's son, lean from day to day? Wilt thou not tell me? And Amnon said unto, unto him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister, Excuse me, all right. So then uh, Amnon, uh, Jonadab said, well, why don't you uh, play like you're sick and, uh, and make your father think you're sick? And so Amnon, in the sixth verse, he lay down and made himself sick. And when the king was come to see him, Amnon said unto the king, I pray thee, let Tamar, my sister, come and make me a couple of cakes in my sight that I may eat at her hand. All right, in the eighth verse, so Tamar went to her brother's Amnon's house and she took flour and kneaded it. <coughs> and made cakes in his sight, and she did bake the cakes. And she took a pan and poured them out before him, but he refused to eat. All right, the reason he didn't eat, he wanted her to come to his bedroom. All right, so she went and she brought them to him in the 11th verse, and he said, Come lie with me, my sister. And she answered him, Nay, my brother, do not force me, for no such thing ought to be done in Israel. Do not thou this folly to me. In the 14th verse, he forced her and lay with her. Then Amnon hated her exceedingly, so that the hatred wherewith he hated her was greater than the love wherewith he had loved her. And Amnon said unto her, Arise, be gone. And she said unto him, There is no cause. This evil in sending me away is greater than, greater than the other thou hast done to me. And he would not hearken unto her. Then he called his servants that ministered unto him and said, Put now this woman out from me and bolt the door after her. Now, isn't that a sad, sad story? You know, you say, well, you know, lots of times we can make so many excuses why children go wrong, why teenagers go wrong. Isn't that right? You say, well, they come from such a poor family. But look at these teenagers. My goodness, they came from a good family. You couldn't find any better family, could you? It was the king's family. They came from the king's family. Boy, they were really the elite. And besides that, they were fine-looking young people. Sometimes you say, well, you know, she's not a pretty girl, and she's just so dying for affection. So naturally, she went off and got into trouble because she found some boy that paid some attention to her. Or maybe say, well, that girl is just so beautiful. She's just so beautiful. No wonder she got in trouble. Well, here you find this is a handsome family because it says up here that in the very first verse that Tamar was a, a fair sister. That means beautiful in the Bible. She was a very, very beautiful girl. And then we know also about, oh, Absalom. My goodness, over in the next chapter, in the 25th verse, it says, 
But all Israel, there was none to be so much praised as Absalom for his beauty. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. So my goodness, they were, these are really handsome kids, weren't they? And then also, you know what? They were well trained. They were well trained. They weren't kids that just left to grow up by themselves. They were well trained. First of all, we're going to find out that uh, Tamar, she knew how to cook. In the eighth verse, it said, So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house, where he laid down, and she took flour and kneaded it and made cakes in his sight and did bake the cakes. Well, she'd been taught to cook, and she'd been taught to be useful, hadn't she? Well, yeah, she grew up, she'd been trained, and then she was a very obedient girl. She'd been taught to be obedient, because in the seventh verse, Then David sent home to Tamar, saying, Go now to thy brother Amnon's house and dress him meat. So she was obedient. She did what her father said, so that's good. Then she was tender-hearted. She was a lovely, sweet, tender-hearted girl. In the tenth verse, it says, uh, and Amnon, uh, and Amnon said to Tamar, Bring the meat into the chamber that I may eat of thine hand. And Tamar took the cakes which she had made and brought them to him. So here this old big old sick fellow playing like he was sick, laying in there on the bed. And he says, I just don't feel like coming to the bed, Tamar. Please bring it in to me. And so she brought the food into the bedroom. Now she had no business doing that, but she was tenderhearted and she wanted to be kind to him. So she took it right in to his bedroom. Then another thing we know that she was a pure, virtuous girl. She was a clean, pure girl. In the very first verse, it tells us, in the second verse, it tells us that she was a virgin. She was a virgin. And then over here, uh, let me see, uh, when he wanted her to come in, she said, no, I don't want to come into this. She said, oh, this should not be done unto me. And she, she refused. She didn't want her brother to, to, to do this to her, so she'd been taught to be clean and pure. And I think even though Amnon had some thoughts of purity in his mind because uh, up here in the second verse it said, you know, uh, uh, in the second verse that Amnon was so vexed that he fell sick for his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin, and Amnon thought it hard for him to do anything to her. So he thought, well, I can't bother my, she's my sister, and I shouldn't be doing that. So he had been taught some kind of decency because he had thoughts where, well, I shouldn't be doing that. So here they are now. They were they come from a lovely home. They come from fine folks. Well, they wasn't a finer person on earth than David was. They were men after God's own heart. And they had been well trained. And they were nice looking uh, young people. And beautifully dressed. On down here a little bit later in the 18th verse, it tells us about this beautiful, beautiful robe that she wore, which all the, the, the king's daughters wore. Beautiful colored garment, divers colors. So she was beautifully dressed. Why? Just looked like they had everything. Isn't that right? Just looks like they had everything. And, you know, for all practical purposes, we could say they were raised in a Christian home. They were raised in a Christian home. I imagine they went to Sunday school and church just about every Sunday, you know, if it didn't rain or if Grandma Grandma didn't come or uh, if we didn't have a picnic planned or something. You know, they went to Sunday school and church just about every Sunday, you know, I imagine. So what did go wrong? What did go wrong? Well, let's see what did go wrong with these young people. Number one, number one, improper training. In proper training. Proverbs 22, 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Now, that's a promise. That's a promise. Did you know that? And you know, I don't know anything about the original language, but my husband was always telling me, You know what that says in the original language? No, what does it say? And he would explain it to me, you know. And so one day he said to me, You know what that verse really says in the original language? Know what? And here's what it says. 
train up a child in the way he, sh he should go, and when he's ready to shave, he'll still be going that way. That means, in other words, you train up a child right, and when he gets to be a teenager and he starts getting fuzz on his little chin, he'll still be going the right way. But you see, you've got to train them up right. Now, you should have started when there's little tiny things. And, you know, starting when they get to be 12 and 13, that's a little bit late. But there still can be hope. See? All right. So, now, when they get ready to shave, they're going to still be going the right way. All right. So, uh, you know, uh, I remember one time in a revival meeting. Well, my husband and I were in Chicago, Illinois, going to Moody Bible Institute. And Dr. John Rice, my husband's brother, came to Chicago to hold a revival me meeting at the Chicago Gospel Tabernacle. And uh, so every night, my husband and I would go with him. And one night, he spoke on uh, the family. He spoke on the family. So he talked about raising children. Well, at this time, his girls were, well, I don't know, probably Grace was 15 years old and right on down the line. Maybe she wasn't that old. But anyway, they were, you know, they weren't grown yet. They weren't finished yet, you know. And he preached on the home. So when he got through, I was standing up there by Dr. John and my husband, and here comes this woman up, and this woman says, Dr. John Rice, you can preach on raising the family now while your girls are little, but you just wait and see how they turn out. Then you won't be so bold. And I thought, well, boy, that's right. How does he know how his girls are going to turn out? I know Grace is kind of strong-headed, and I know Mary Lois is kind of a tomboy, and I, I was thinking about all these girls, you know, and how, boy, it's going to really be something to get those girls turned out right, you know, and I was thinking about all them. <laughs> but you know what Dr. John Rice said? He squared his shoulders back. He looked that woman square dab in the eye, and he said, Madam, I know how my girls are going to turn out. I'm turning them out. And that's exactly right. He did turn them out, didn't he? Have you ever known six finer girls in all your life? He turned them out, didn't he? And every one of them are in full-time gospel work, married to men in full-time gospel work. He turned them out. So at that time, I just had two little girls. But I said to myself, oh, my goodness, i got to get to work and start turning mine out. See? All right. So, okay, you got to turn them out. So first of all, somehow along the line, she improper training. David was so busy being king, he hadn't taken time to properly turn his children out. All right. Then number two, improper affections. Improper affections. We see over here where Amnon, the son of David, had a fair sister, and he was so vexed that he fell sick for his sister Tamar. That's not proper affections, is it? So he had no business whatsoever falling in love with his sister, and he should have been taught and trained all the time he's growing up. That we don't do. No, we don't do that. And he should have been taught and trained. Just like the children of Israel. The children of Israel were told that neither shalt thou make marriage with them. Thy, thy daughter shall not, thou shalt not give unto thy sons, nor thy daughter shall you take unto your sons. And then it goes on to come about, and that's in Deuteronomy 7. The Lord says, I will be angry against you if you do that. See? All right, so just as the Lord said now, uh, you Israel people in Israel, you don't give your daughters to heathen countries, to other people for marriage, and you don't take their daughters for your sons to marriage. That's exactly what the Lord expects of us today. As we grow up, we teach our children, we marry our kind. We marry our kind. And you know, Dinah, Jacob's daughter, it said she went out to be with the daughters of the land. She even picked the wrong friends, you see. She picked the wrong friends. She was with the girls that were not of what, what they believed, what they taught, what they accepted. 
No. Uh, we ought to teach our children that their affections should be exactly right. That's where homosexuality comes in. Wrong thinking, see. Those will be taught. You are a male. You, per- you perform. You act. You be like a male. You women, you let your boys get in the dirt. You let your boys play shoot them up. You let your boys play cowboy and Indians. You let your boys be boys. That's what God made them. So their whole thoughts and their and their thought pattern will be towards that. And you let your little girls be just as dainty and feminine as they can be. Let them play mom and pop and house and be scared of bugs. That's all right. <laughs> let them be just as feminine and let them love what they're supposed to love and let them be what they're supposed to be. All right. So uh, this... But got but improper affections. See, that's why the Lord doesn't want us the white to marry the black or the white to marry the yellow. He wants you to be a pure race, purist, and your children ought to be taught that. I'm not talking about being bigots and teaching your children to grow up to hate other races. No, I think we ought to be kind and friendly to all people. But you ought to know who your children's best friends are. You ought to know. Uh, and, and be sure that you're training them to have the right affections towards the right people. Those that they love the best are of their kind, of their kind. But the very next one is improper friend, improper friend in the third verse. And Adam had a friend whose name was Jonadab, and this friend was a wrong kind of a friend, a wrong kind of a friend. You know what this friend said? This friend said, what's wrong with you? You're getting skinnier every day. You just look awful. And you're a king's son. What's wrong with you? And he said, oh, I just love my sister so much. I'm, I'm lovesick. Can't eat. Can't do anything. I'm so sick for my sister. And so this friend said, well, I'll tell you what you do. I'll tell you how to get her. I'll tell you, play sick. Play like you're sick. And you go in there and get on your bed and just moan and groan and be sick. <clears throat> and when your father comes to visit you, well, tell him, oh, I'm just so sick. I need somebody to come take care of me. You reckon my sister could come and take care of me? Now, that was not the right kind of a friend, was it? And if you had the right kind of a friend, the right kind of friend would say, Oh, snap out of it. Get up from there. Quit being such a prissy pants and get out there and get to playing and forget about that sister of yours. Now, come on. But see, he's the wrong kind of a friend. So you've got to be careful about what kind of friends your children have. You know, I've often heard my son Pete say that evil, never, uh, good never pulls evil up, but evil always pulls good down. And that's right, you see. If you've got, you watch your children's friendships. Because if they have the wrong type friend, they can pull them the wrong way. Isn't that right? Pull them the wrong way. So you've got to really be careful. You see, after all, you're a lot older than your children. And you know a lot more than your children do. And if there's some little boy that your little son's playing with, or your big teenage son's playing with, and you know that's not proper, then you ought to put a stop to it right then and there. Or if your teenage daughter has a girlfriend that you know is pulling her and getting her thinking the wrong things and wanting to do the wrong thing, then you ought to stop it right then and there. You're still the mother. You're still stronger than they are. You've still got more sense than they have. You're still giving them food to eat and clothes to wear and a house to live in. So you ought to be firm, take those reins by the hands and take a hold of them. And you know, you know where you, who your children's friends are, where they go, what they're doing, when they're going to get in and all about it. And you ought not ever permit your daughter to have a good friend, boy, male or female, that's unsaved. Or you ought not ever permit your son to have a good friend, male or female, that's unsaved. Now, I don't mean we can't be nice and friendly to them and just be friendly and nice and cordial to them, but your best friends ought to be Christians, and especially from the opposite sex. 
A boy ought not ever think about dating an unsaved girl, even being nice to an unsaved girl until she has, until he's been saved. And a boy ought not ever be around a girl that's unsaved. No, that's not our type. That's not. That's like the Israel children of Israel. You don't give them to those uh, heathen people. Stay away from them. You see, you fall in love with who you run around with, and just because you're being nice to somebody to try and get them saved, watch out. See. So if your son says, well, Mom, I'm just being nice to her. She's such a sweet girl and such a nice girl, and I just want to get her saved. Then you say, son, if you want to get that girl saved, let me deal with her. Let Aunt Susie take her to church. Let uh, your sister uh, be nice to her, but you leave her alone until she is a Christian girl and living for the Lord. You watch your children's friendships. You watch their friendships. And you need to know exactly where they're going. If they say, I'm going with Sally to study tonight, then you know what you ought to do? About 9 o'clock, call over to Sally's house. Say, may I speak to my daughter Nancy, please? Nancy? Why, well, they're not here. I, I understood they thought it's your house. Aha! You caught them, didn't you? See? All right. You'd better find out. You'd better find out if she's over at her girlfriend's house studying like she said she's going to be. You're the mother. It's your business. You need to know. You need to know where your daughter is and what she's doing when she says she's doing it. Many a time you're going to find out when a girl says she's going over to somebody else's house to study, she's really going out with some boy. And you better find out now. You better find out who her friends are and where she is and what she's doing and what he's doing with those friends that he has. He needs to have the proper friends. All right. Then the next thing, the next thing, this boy, Amnon, had improper thoughts improper thoughts all right in verse 2 he was vexed for his sister he fell sick all he could do was think about her think about her think about her his mind was constantly thinking about her thinking about her that's why it is so important so important all the time that your children are growing up that they have the proper thought patterns that being put on their little brain. Beautiful music all the time in your home. The right kind of a music. Good good books, good literature for them to read. You ought to see to it that your children read good books that have good moral endings, that have good things that can saturate their minds as they can think of. But when I was a child growing up, we read all the time. And you know, man, those good little old books that I read, oh, just put such romantic and such thrilling and such wonderful and such high ideals into my mind and into my thoughts. And I couldn't have, didn't have any room for any dirty thoughts or evil thoughts. So you ought to get those thought patterns of your children so established. And you ought to be sure that you're getting good literature, good music, good words, good talk, good all the time. So it's making those real deep furrows in their brain. And you ought to even be a snoopy mother. Did you know it? Then you ought to be a snoopy mother. I mean, you ought to go into your boy's bedroom, look under his mattress and see what he's got stashed away under the mattress. Or you look in his closet and see what he's got hidden in his closet. You might be surprised what you'll find. Some of these girly magazines and some of these dirty stories. And you go and you get into your daughter's purse and see, she's still your daughter. He's still your son. You're still feeding him, dressing him, clothing him, homing him. All right, you find out what he's reading and what he's got putting into his mind. He's still your child. And you help him to get good, clean, pure thoughts established there you be firm and you be consistent all the time then the next thing he had no respect for his father he had no respect for his father this friend said come on fool the old man fool him lie to him and that's exactly what he did 
He told a big old lie to his dad. I'm sick. I want my sister to come. He didn't have any respect for his father. And I would say right here that here's where the mamas fell down. See? Because a child learns honor and respect for his, for their father from the mother. Did you know that? Yes. Children are around their mother more than any other person in the early years of their life, I hope. Okay? And so, you know, if a mother says, oh, that old Miss Jones, she makes me sick at my stomach, then it makes your little daughter sick at her stomach too, see? All right. And if you say, oh, that teacher, I wish they'd get a new teacher down at that school, then the children aren't going to like that teacher. See? And if you say, oh, our pastor, why does he have to preach on that on Sunday morning for? I just wish he wouldn't be so hard-hearted when he preaches and blah, blah, blah about the pastor. Then pretty soon the children are going to say, boy, that preacher, he's not much count. He preaches too hard. See, they're going to pick up what Mama says. See? All right, so if you say, oh, that daddy of yours, I wish he'd get some sense knocked in his head. He doesn't have a bit of sense. Then pretty soon your children are going to begin to feel that way. See? Yes, ma'am, that's exactly right. But if you hold your husband up to honor and respect, then your children will have that very same honor and respect. And they ought to be taught to say, yes, sir, and yes, ma'am. And they ought to be taught that, boy, when Dad walks in, we get up and give him our seat. Taught to have honor and respect for the man you married, the greatest man on earth. I could not ever imagine one of my children putting on a show and acting like they were sick and telling a lie to their dad. They had too much honor and respect for him. So here Mama, Mama hadn't taught Amnon to have honor and respect for his father David. She had probably belittled him and put him down. Okay. Then another thing, this fellow, he, he was selfish. He, was, he wanted everything for himself. He wanted for himself. So in verse 14, Howbeit he would not hearken unto her voice, but being stronger than she, forced her and lay with her. And so he wanted it, and what he wanted, he didn't care what happened to her, he didn't care if he hurt her, her uh, gave her her respect, didn't care what damage he did to her body, he didn't care. All he wanted was what he wanted himself, what his body craved, what he wanted. He was a selfish, selfish man. Then number seven, and this is by far the most important, Amnon, Absalom, Tamar, were all three human. Do you know that? They were all three human. She was a lovely, beautiful girl with the body of a girl. They were both fine men with strong male bodies. And you know, I think sometimes mothers are about the dumbest things on earth. You know what I think about you? You think, oh, my sweet little lovely, beautiful 15, 16, 17-year-old daughter. Oh, she's just such a doll. Oh, she's so beautiful. Oh, she's so charming. And when she gets to be about 109, she'll find out there's such a thing as sex. You think, oh, my fine stalwart son. Oh, 19 years old, you're just fine a man. Boy, he wouldn't do anything wrong. He's such a fine man. When he gets to be about 240, he's going to learn there's something like sex. No, that's not right. When your little sons and daughters, little tiny boys and girls, begin to get into the teenage years, they begin to develop bodies with sexual desires. No, that's in those little teenage young people just as much as it is in your body, and it's there. And here this Amnon was, he had sexual desires in his body, and he could not help but be stirred and have desires in his body because he was a male. Now, you know, sex can be, can be very, very wicked and very, very evil. 
in the bounds of marriage is very, very beautiful and very, very wonderful. But this was out of the bounds of marriage. But just because he grew up in a Christian home doesn't mean he doesn't have sexual desires. Doesn't mean he can't be tempted and stirred. And seeing this beautiful, beautiful, fair sister of his, boy, how he wanted to get to her. He's just a natural male. Just exactly natural. And an old friend of his that wasn't any better than he was, or probably worse, helped him to go right into what he wanted to go into anyway. And how stupid and how dumb David was to send that beautiful, beautiful girl into that man's home. Now, wasn't that stupid? But you, mother's just as dumb. You let your little 15-year-old girl go off with a boy, you don't know where she's going, off in a parked car, off with a bunch of kids, off to a swimming party, off to a, I don't know what, but they're going, oh, they're all Christian boys and girls. Well, they're all fine upstanding. And besides that, you say, I trust my daughter. I trust my son. Well, you're wicked and foolish if you do. Because the old devil is out there to snap and to snare your little daughter and your son. And if you don't keep your hands and your eyes and your heart on them, you're going to lose them. And then you're going to say, I don't know where in the world they went wrong. Well, we taught them right. Well, we took them to church and Sunday school. But you feel, I trust my daughter. I trust my son. My husband and I were in a revival meeting in Decatur, Illinois, and we were in a church, and one night a beautiful young girl came up to me. She was holding a precious baby girl, and this girl said to me, she said, Ms. Rice, did you pray that I could marry a preacher? I said, why, sure. I said, have you finished high school? She said, I've got one. I'm in my senior year. I said, well, sure, I'll pray for you. Yeah, I'll pray for you. I said, uh, uh, where would you like to go to school? She said, well, I'd like to go to Tennessee Temple or Bob Jones. Yeah, I'll pray for you. She said, well, do you think a preacher boy would want this? And she held a little baby girl out to me. I said, is that your baby? Yes. I said, and you're not married? No. Well, how did you get that baby? And she told me a story as old as Adam and Eve. Here she was. She grew up in this church. From the, she was born. Her, when she was born, her mother and father were in this church. She'd grown up. She'd gone to Christian school every day of her life in this fine, fundamental, independent Baptist church and in this good Christian school. Her boyfriend, one time he was a baby, they were in kindergarten together. They'd been together all their lives, all their lives in this school. When they got into high school, her boyfriend became basketball captain, captain of the basketball team, and he was the most popular boy in the school. And she said, oh, I was so fortunate, I was his girlfriend. And my mom and my papa, they were so proud that I, was, that I had, as my boyfriend, the most popular boy in the school. And she said, little by little by little, we went a little further. And we didn't plan to do anything bad. We were in the Christian school. And she said, you know, my mom and dad and his mom and dad were best friends. And sometimes his folks would come over to my house and, and my mom and dad and his mom and dad would play games. 
And then we'd, uh, my boyfriend and I'd go back in my room and listen to records. And sometimes we'd go over to his house and, and we'd go back in his bedroom. Now, how stupid can parents be? How stupid can parents be? Just like David. Just act like David. And she said, we didn't mean to do anything wrong. But we were steadies. And he was my boyfriend and I was his girlfriend. And I planned to marry him when we got out of school. But the first thing we knew, I was pregnant. I was pregnant. And I said, well, now what are you going to do? Well, I hope I can go to to a school, to Bob's own or someplace, and meet a preacher boy and marry him. I, does everybody know who this baby belongs to? Sure, everybody knows it. Everybody knows it. And then she said, you know what, Miss Rice? It's not fair. It's not fair. What's well, not fair? Everybody blames me. I'm the one that everybody looks down on. I'm the one that everybody condemns. And she said, that boyfriend of mine is still the most popular boy in the school. The teachers all think he's the most wonderful thing on earth. Every girl in that school is just dying to be his girlfriend. He doesn't bear any shame. I'm the one that's got it all. It's not fair, Miss Rice. It's not fair. And then she said, why couldn't my mother and dad been firmer with me? Why couldn't my mom and dad made me come in at certain times? and knowing where I was and what I was doing. Why did my mom and dad send me off to that bedroom with him? Why? Why? Now remember, you've got teenagers and they're still yours. And you have just as much a responsibility to raise them for the Lord, to see that they do right, as when they were little children. Don't be afraid of your teenagers. Make them afraid of you.